Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Maya, and this week, Jack Kanisha and I spoke with veteran educator Kent Lency, author of Learning to Depolarize, Helping Students and Teachers Reach Across Lines of Disagreement. Kent framed for us that political polarization feels acute because of the negative connotations surrounding this concept. However, his goal is to help educators navigate the complexities of polarization in order to better prepare today's students to face tomorrow's polarization. Through doing so, youth can be encouraged and supported in facing the challenges of working across lines of disagreement. We had lots of questions for him. What does polarization look like in educational settings? What works in diffusing polarization? What helps build bridges against lines of disagreement? We discussed our concerns that too often education is being used as either a political weapon or a political tool rather than a system to serve people as the bipolar nature of our political divide has grown bigger and more intense. Too often, those who try to encourage viewpoint diversity and to reach out to people we disagree with are met with skepticism, mistrust, and pushback. In the face of threat, Kent noted that rational thinking becomes disabled as individuals develop a fight-or-flight mechanism, fearing an attack on a crucial part of their identity. It doesn't have to be this way. Kent inspired us to try to look at things and people in the most charitable light and to embrace perspectives all across the spectrum in relation to issues facing our world today. Thank you for listening. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Jack Flanagan. I'm a senior studying in Manhattan right now. Um, I've been with NextGen for almost three years. I started um, in the summer when we did a civic action project where we distributed into public and private high schools in New York uh, a survey about freedom of expression and sort of figuring out where that right stands in our civic discourse in public and private schools. And so after that survey came back, we wrote up some, you know, had some ideas, made a presentation on it. And then since then, I've been um, a member of the podcast team and have really enjoyed getting to speak with all of the different interesting guests we have. Um, I'm really excited today to learn more about, you know, polarization in public schools, right, and the importance of getting people to talk about politics in schools, um, but doing so in a constructive and healthy way and thinking about how can we use schools as a, as a good, you know, as like a good starting place to sort of teach the civic virtue that, you know, right, like public schools were thought of it, at least in the beginning as like imbuing some form of civic virtue or some sort of like smaller republicanism. And so thinking about how we can, we can reclaim some of that ideal. Um, something I'm really interested in. And then just speaking about polarization more generally, what does it mean to be polarized? Why are we so polarized? And what are some strategies we might use to counter that rise in polarization? Yeah, um, hi everyone. My name is Kanisha and I'm a high school senior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also a facilitator at YVOTE. And today um, I'm just excited to discuss what polarization looks like in educational settings. Um, I think it's always interesting when you have an educator on the podcast, especially coming from our backgrounds as students, both in like the public and private school systems, um, and then talking to educators that have been navigating these systems for years, and yeah, like making their own way through them. So I think that's always just a really interesting conversation to have, and I'm just excited to see what we can kind of glean from each other when it comes to navigating these conversations and just building on what Jack was saying, how we can hopefully build a path to just engaging in more discourse and civic-minded discussions in our curriculums going forward. Great, I guess that leaves me. I'm Kent, Kent Lancy, and I am so pleased to be here. Um, 
quick background. I was a teacher for two decades, taught middle school social studies um, for 20 years in the Boston area. And four years ago, just sort of just pre-pandemic, um, flew the nest, left the classroom and started this little one-man organization called Middle Ground School Solutions. And um, my goal is to help prepare today's students to face tomorrow's polarization. So I, I, my research tells me that the polarization we're experiencing now and that we perceive isn't going away. And so that's what I'm trying to do, try to think about how do we equip today's youth to, to face the challenges that uh, sadly, I think we are passing on to you and that you will need to solve by working with people um, with whom you may have serious disagreements or um, may see the world really different, differently. So um, on a more practical level, that means, yeah, I wrote a book. So part of what I'm doing is trying to get my ideas out there. First of all, sell educators on, uh, on the need, on the fact that this polarization that feels acute and that I think a lot of my peers, educators um, kind of cross their fingers and hope and assume that it's fleeting that it's going to ease, that this is a product of the personalities that have um, dominated the political landscape recently and that, and that that will ease. I don't think that's the case. I mean, it, um, it might ease a, a wee tiny bit, but I, but I, you know, what I read suggests we're, we're stuck with this um, for a while. So trying to, trying to sell educators on that because that's the first step in getting them to believe, yeah, it's worth um, putting our backs into this challenge and really devoting some time and energy um, to figuring out how we can lead our students in a direction that will position them for that. And um, to get a little more practical um, and concrete, that, that looks like leading. Most of what I do is work with teachers in schools and um, Again, partially to lay out the, um, the landscape that I've described, and then to try to equip them with strategies, a toolkit to, um, to kind of implement this work in the classroom. And so that might be resources. I might aim teachers towards other organizations. That's often what I do, because there are all sorts of organizations that have created curricular materials that have created um, conversation guides, so on and so forth. And, and I'm not trying to recreate those. And so I try to kind of aim people in different directions. You might try this, you might try that. This has worked for me. This has worked for other people. Um, and do a little practicing about how to lead conversations in the classroom and so on and so forth. I've also done some work with kids right now that I'm not full-time in the classroom. I've been brought back into schools, um, working with various age groups, several uh, middle school uh, experiences to introduce those students to the challenge, um, help them understand a little bit about polarization, um, and kind of whet their appetite to, to also lean into the challenge of, of working across lines of disagreement. I've always found that when students know why they're doing what we teachers are asking them to do, that there's a, a lot more investment in it. So um, so that's what I try to do. Yeah, um, that's so great to hear. Um, I loved hearing about all of the different things you've been doing with other educators and schools. 
Um, and I guess beyond the work that you're doing right now with schools, I just want to kind of broaden the scope and ask a little bit more about this like general trend of political polarization that I think we're increasingly seeing um, polarization in the sphere of politics bleed into our classrooms, bleed into curricula and bleed into like smaller scale governments, departments of education, all of that. Um, and I think it's like, at least from a perspective as a student, even though that that debate doesn't look as intense in New York City, um, I've always, whenever I hear stories on the news or anything like that, I always think about the fact that I think education is being used a lot as a political weapon or political tool rather than a system to serve people, which has been an interesting shift for me um, coming to like a place that has such a robust public education system. And then in like, 10 years since I started elementary school here, seeing so many public education systems in the US face so many challenges just because of what different politicians and different people have deemed unfit to be taught or just challenging. Like, I think a lot of basic rules in classrooms that have been well established for, long for a long time. So I just kind of wanted to ask about what your thoughts are on that current situation, uh, whether it's anything you want to talk about, um, sorry, whether you want to talk about what's happening in Florida with all the different education reforms there or this larger trend more generally. I just love to hear your thoughts about, you know, polarization bleeding into education, educational policy. You know, my, my message in speaking to people has evolved a little bit. Even since I wrote the book, the book came out and um, this fall, this past fall, things move fast in this world, right? So you gotta stay nimble. And um, I think that where I am now is to emphasize, number one, that yeah, we're really polarized. <laughs> the, the country's really polarized. Um, there are various um, Sources of information, the Pew Research Center is a good one to go to to help track the, the, the trends of polarization over the last about three decades um, that they've been tracking reliably. And, um, and then there are a bunch of others. A lot of, a lot of research has gone into this. So, yeah, number one, as I said earlier, uh, polarization is a real challenge. It's been increasing. Political polarization has been increasing in this country meaningfully over the last couple decades. There's no doubt. Um, that polarization, and, and then there are all these little bits that are involved in that, right? That like we are self-sorting. So part of the polarization story is that we Americans are, are, are sorting ourselves geographically. So literally our, our human selves, where we live, um, with whom we spend time in our physical world, and then of course in our virtual spaces as well. And in each of those, we, so right, so think, um, the coastal liberals, right? Like that, that's a phenomenon that, that we Americans are gravitating towards each other increasingly um, because we want to be with like-minded people. That's probably conscious sometimes, probably unconscious, driven by all sorts of factors. So um, Congress has gotten more polarized, right? More extreme. Um, and, then, and then the elites play to their base. And so there's this whole story of, um, you know, primary, the primary system and how politicians generally speak to uh, the most active voters. You get all these like different elements and forces conspiring in here. And, 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 and the end result is right now, again, for years, this has been heading this way. I don't, I don't see it letting up. 
um, that we have this political polarization. The, what I, when I said that I've kind of refining my message, so that's, that's one thing that's really important. The other thing that's really important is that it's uh, not as bad as we think. And they're both true. And, and that's, and I'm sure, again, as I said earlier, um, you know, I really respected the conversation I heard you conducting. I have a feeling you know a lot of this, what I'm saying, and maybe some of your listeners don't, so I'm speaking to them, but um, we're super polarized and we're not as polarized as we think. And there's tons of research in that domain as well. Um, some people call it, uh, you know, misperception. There's, a, there's an organization called More in Common that has um, laid out some really accessible research on that. And then there are a whole bunch of other researchers. So this is the broad landscape, like the challenge, we're really polarized. We perceive great difference with our political others. Um, the hope there and uh, the reason to not feel so down about it is that we're not as far apart as we think. Um, the political others are not as extreme. These are generalizations I'm speaking of, according to the research. For many of us, the political opposites are not the boogeyman we make them out to be on both sides. Um, and they don't think we're as bad as we think they are. That's called meta-perception. What we think the other side is thinking about us, right? So we have our perception of them, and then what we think they're thinking about us. And that's a nasty spiral, right? When we believe we are mistrusted or hated or dehumanized, that, of course, fuels our uh, negative feelings towards the other. And so we're, we're off base there, too. We, <laughs> they don't think we're as bad as we think they think we are. So, um, so that's, the, that's, the, that's the challenge and the hope, that, that both of those are true. And I'd like to broadcast that. I like to, I like to tell that to anybody who will listen because it is worth, um, even as we lean into these challenges, pausing, taking a breath and knowing, hey, there's, <laughs> there's reason to believe that I actually might find something in common uh, with these people that I, that I think I can't stand and that I associate with, um, with the most visible and detestable other, right? So there is some loudmouth, whatever side I'm on, right? There is somebody that that hogs the airwaves and that the media focuses on a lot. And then and I and I really don't like that person. Then I transfer my feelings to the others and imagine that they are the same way. The um, the school landscape. I mean, it's so it. it it is so interesting and it's so um, troublesome um, what's going on in, in the school landscape. And I will say to that I'm not as much of an expert on how all of this is affecting, um, let's say, uh, policymakers um, and um, those in local government or state government who are dealing with education. That's not really, Jack, you asked about, maybe I could talk about where I'm swimming and I didn't really answer that question, but I'm not, but that I don't come from that world of education policy and I'm not um, deeply uh, tuned in to that, but I certainly follow, I, I know, I understand your references to the kerfuffles that are going on in school board meetings and the, um, the legislation that is being bandied about in different places. And, um, and I think what we're seeing, and, and that's interesting too, because that sucks up a lot of our attention in, in the same way that I said, um, you know, we, we think of the most detestable invisible political other. We also tend to think we, 
there was a lot of media coverage of these events, of the laws in Florida and that, that you mentioned. And I mean, how much coverage is there of Florida these days? Um, it's enough to make you think that's what's happening everywhere for everyone in all education systems. And I, I think that it, it is part of, um, it's, a, it's a symptom of, of what's not working so well in our media ecospheres is that, you know, whatever draws our attention and gets us riled up, uh, that's what, that's, that's the news, right? So if we can uh, predictably imagine that people are going to get more riled up by showing them more about what's going on in Florida, let's do that. And then that sort of sucks in all our attention. But having said that, I will kind of shift for a second. And um, I wrote about this a little bit in my book. And, and I think what's happening, I, I prefer to um, try to look at things in the most charitable light that I can. And so rather than assume, I'm sure that I know that, um, that there's a lot of political activity weaponizing education for political gain. Right? There's no doubt about that. Um, that there are people who think they can mount a successful presidential campaign if they make certain moves in certain places that will appeal to their base, right? And so that's that's undoubtedly what's driving some of the action around education policy. But I also believe that there are just a lot of people in this country who are genuinely worried about where the country's going. And, um, and those worries can be polar opposites from my own worries. But after doing a lot of research and spending a lot of time on this, um, I still believe they're, they're, they are authentic in the sense that people believe them. Um, I don't, I, I have trouble <laughs> um, believe, seeing um, the value uh, in, in expending so much energy to, um, to limit what's read and studied in schools, for example. But I, I do believe that there are a lot of people who think they're losing their country. And more significantly, who believe that their children are in peril. And, um, and I'm a parent, I can only speak for myself here, having two kids, knowing that there is nothing more threatening than believing that your children are in peril. And if, and if you have come to believe, either through your consumption of your media, your news intake, um, through being surrounded by like-minded people, because we sort ourselves, as I said, that way, if you've come to believe that your kids are being misserved in their education, and that a different direction, less reading of this book, less exposure to that, is, um, is going to serve them, then uh, you can get behind that. So there's a lot going on, I think, in, in the kind of what people talk about the culture wars and, and how education has, has um, gotten into that. And again, I do think that it's just nakedly um, political ambition in some cases, but I also think there's some really deep psychology that, um, that reflects kind of the bipolar nature of our political divide and the way we perceive so deeply um, allegiance to our political brethren, the people that, that we think are on our team, and a real fear of and mistrust of the others. And when we think the others are coming to get our kids, then, then you, can, you can believe there's going to be a lot of energy.
I'd be interested to know, um, I mean, it seems like your work would be pretty uh, unobjectionable to anybody from across a political spectrum. And it's, it's quite interesting. Like there are very few things that Americans agree upon among them, like China bad. And then the second is that like our political discourse is broken and like we're really polarized. So I think, you know, and, and I don't know, right, but like to take the, the stereotypical example, right, and just like go for like the media headline. Like, I don't know that you've done a, you know, you've done a workshop in Florida, for example. Um, but like, I don't, and, and I don't necessarily anticipate that, you know, it seems to me like from the work you're doing that you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't receive a ton of pushback in Florida. But have you gotten any questions about, you know, well, what does this material mean? What does it do, right? You know, what, like, I'd be interested to know, have you run into any of this tension yourself? Um, and certainly it doesn't have, you know, like, I don't want to be seen as fishing for something really extraordinary. Um, but I think it might be really illustrative, you know, like really illustrative, um, even if you've worked only, you know, in, in the, the Northeast and, and seen, you know, where I think our climate is generally more open or, or probably more receptive to the work that you would be doing. That's a great question, Jack. Um, yeah, so you would, it's funny, you would think that it is sort of unobjectionable, um, but it turns out it's not. So <clears throat> I have, um, and it has surprised me, right? I mean, I really believe that. And, and I, you know, I carry myself in a pretty unthreatening way. <laughs> um, and, um, and so I have been surprised that um, I have certainly had, mo most of the people I deal with, um, most of the educators I talk to are really, um, are really interested in what I'm talking about and, and are um, not defensive in any way and are not suspicious or skeptical. But, there, but I absolutely have run into uh, a number of times skepticism and mistrust and pushback from what I would say are people on the left and people on the right, both. And what, um, what I have, what I think, and I've had, I've had some interesting conversations. So um, let me talk about just quickly, quick anecdote um, from the right. So I did a presentation I did it like a 20 minute presentation to a group of uh, parents um, somewhere in the Northeast <laughs> and um, parents at a, uh, from a, a parents association of a public school in uh, somewhere in the Northeast. And it, and it was, this was a small group, it was a small school and there were like 25 parents on this Zoom call. And, um, and I just went in and did a really abbreviated version of what I do. I told people, hey, here's some research that shows we're polarized, um, kind of like my warm up for you, right? Here's a, here are a couple of graphs and wow, look at this. I mean, this is a challenge that's gonna face our kids. Um, and I said, but it's not as bad as we think it is. And, um, and then I was, I was talking to parents, so I said, hey, here are some of the things that when I work with teachers, I give them these types of, of um, strategies and resources. And for you, you know, here's what I think we can be doing. And basically what it amounted to was, um, you know, uh, acknowledge the challenge with your kids. Um, to make sure that you, um, you, you're not afraid to deliver um, whatever values, to, to keep emphasizing that with kids, right? They're your kids, right? You, you steer them, you wanna steer them in a direction, steer them in a direction, they're your children. And I said, but if we can also do it, let's see if we can engender some curiosity, right? Like I'm gonna vote, here's a parent talking to the kid, I'm gonna vote for this person because this is what our family stands for. And I don't like what these other candidates have to say, great. Let your flag fly, let it rip, tell your kids how you feel, and then say, but I'm so curious 
about what what's driving people um, toward the other candidate. So that was it. Twenty minutes. I was like, I did not see it coming at the end. Any questions? Couple questions, and then somebody said, "I mean, this guy was incensed." He said, you bring this guy in. I mean, his tone of voice, it was very belligerent. You bring this guy in here with his politics and you, and this guy says on and on and on, right? This guy says we should, well, he's bringing in his politics. And I was really not expecting this at all. And I'm, I'm in my head. I'm like, what politics is he talking about? Like, where is he? What did he listen to? And what I realized, um, so I followed, I actually followed up with him. I said, you know what? Um, I hear that you have some objections and I'd love to talk to you if we can. I didn't think it would happen. The principal of the school actually connected us and we did follow up and we, we made it happen. And we had this great hour long conversation. And it was, you know, as you might imagine, it was much calmer. It, he had not heard my delivery. He didn't really, he didn't get any of the content. So I, and I said, this is actually ironic because I would have thought like, here, I'm, I'm the guy coming in and, and, and what I think I'm doing is I'm trying to make this community that in, I will say right Northeast, a predominantly left-leaning community, I will say like, I, I would have thought like the conservatives would, would sort of welcome uh, my message as I'm trying to open up this dialogue. But he hadn't heard anything that I said. And the reason he hadn't is because I had a picture of former President Trump on one of my early slides. And the reason I had a picture was then to show all of his predecessors going back about um, five administrations to show how our political polarization had changed over time. And my point of that was to show it's not Trump's fault, according to my reading of the research, that yes, there's a lot of polarization that you can track uh, in the era of Trump, but look, it's been increasing with each subsequent administration. So <laughs> this was the message that I gave but he saw, the, he saw the Trump picture and he thought that I was coming in there to bash Trump. And, and he had gotten so um, worried about that. And I know through my research that in, in the face of threat, rational thinking is disabled, right? We have this fight or flight mechanism and, it, and it's a real thing and it kicks in. And he was, uh, he was in fight mode. And, um, and, and we could only disable that through subsequent conversation. I have experienced something akin to that with other um, folks who I think are on the conservative side who believe, who as soon as they hear the word politics, right? Kent Lancey's coming, he wrote a book called Learning to Depolarize. He's talking about political, political, political. And they say, oh, here's come somebody else who's coming to indoctrinate our kids, bringing, bringing politics into the classroom. So you used the word nuance earlier, Jack, right? Any, any approach to, to nuance is immediately gone. So I get that on the other side. Um, and of course that for me, like that's super frustrating because that, that doesn't bear any resemblance to, to what I'm trying to do or I think the content of what I deliver. On the other side, and um, yeah, and I'll, I mean, I'll identify myself as left-leaning. Um, you did, Jack, I heard that, or that you're in a left-leaning area, maybe you said. So, but I'll speak for myself. Um, yeah, I call myself progressive. Um, and so it's a challenge when um, I also get pushback from the other side. And, and, and where it comes is it is usually in the context um, of race or not necessarily race, but 
in different ways thinking about, well, you're here trying to encourage us collectively, this community, to embrace um, viewpoint diversity and to reach out to people we disagree with. But what if, what if those people are dehumanize me or the people I care for? And um, what, if, what if those people, um, it's not, you know, what if it's not reasonable to engage um, with a message of hatred? And, um, and that's a real, I think that's a really fabulous question. It's actually the question that's preoccupied me quite a bit because it, it, it's a, it, it's just a, it is a real challenge. So I get people on that side who are feeling really skeptical. Like I am trying to encourage, um, um, encourage us to give more, uh, a longer leash to people that we shouldn't do that, um, with that we should, shouldn't, um, give more airtime to viewpoints that could be hateful, um, so on and so forth. And, and, and I understand that, um, but it's pushback nonetheless. And that, that's a, maybe a little tangential. It's not what you asked. I actually just wrote a piece on that because I just keep puzzling and puzzling over how to answer that question. How do we, um, how do we make space? How do we encourage kids to be in a mindset, to be open-minded about people with whom they deeply disagree if we are possibly opening the door um, to, to making space for, again, I'll just say hatred, if, if, if it is hateful. So um, there, what, I'll stop talking. I, de I definitely, I, sorry, I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna add and then I actually have to run. Um, I think that that is really interesting and, it, and it, it's very interesting to me because it seems to track with my general feeling too. And I, I am not, you know, I am not right a researcher and this is just like my general like opinion. And I'm, I'm quite interested to know because it feels like on some level, the right is more concerned with like primary education, right? Lowers, you know, K through 12, right? And like DeSantis is, is like the champion of this and perhaps he skews my perception. Um, but I think what's really interesting about that is that I think that certainly the left does also do political things in education, but I think they tend to occupy higher education and probably push it in a more illiberal way and, and chill the speech environment um, pretty significantly like on college campuses. Um, and like, I'm gonna do like the, the like annoying, like academic cop out of like outside the scope of this essay. Like we're like, we don't, I don't, I don't think that we need to unpack that Pandora's box. Um, but it's interesting to see that even in your experiences, right? You do have someone who, see, who sees the buzzword about like, you know, it's gonna be blamed on Trump, right? This is an attack on my identity and goes after you. And then also on the, on the left. And I think that from our sympathies, right? It's easier to humanize those people. Um, that, you know, and I agree, right, there are hateful people and there are people who I don't think we need to be in discourse with, right, you can hear them once and I, I feel very comfortable dismissing from there and saying, no, I find your conclusions more morally repugnant, empirically ungrounded and, and you know, move on. Um, but I think it's interesting how even at the primary level, right, and even in your, in your work, it seems like there's some higher level of, well, who do we, who do we have an obligation to engage with because we may find what they say so repulsive. Um, and I think that that is a lot of the that, that that drives a lot of narratives on like college campuses that can be frequently damaging. And, and obviously this is a huge generalization, right? Like I, I don't wanna be speaking in terms of particulars and I don't wanna be seen as saying that, you know, everything should be said and that we should be having hate speech unregulated. I think that there are certain regulations you probably can put on speech, um, but it's interesting to me that even at primary, like, you know, at this primary level, sort of in the microcosm of your experience, it seems like there are these two much bigger societal factors from the right and left converging.
That's all for today with Next Gen Politics. I'm your editor, Amelis Gonzalez, signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org slash podcasts for more links related to what we discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded.